Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing, except for the pipe event. If you want to hear about that, you can go back to our last podcast where Stace and I broke down all the controversial moments from the event, from the 10 that wasn't a 10, to the Kayo and Zeke situation, to the lowest ever heat winning total. There's a lot that went down, so go and give it a listen. But now, Buck is going to join me to talk about some other things that happened this week, like the amount of money, prize money, that the WSL pumps into their CT every year. We have a 365-day surf forecast for you. You're welcome. Also, we're going to have Kanoa Igarashi come on and break down the three types of surfers that sea tiers encounter in the water. And last but not least, we're going to talk about the controversial new rule that the WSL announced this year. It's about transgender athletes, and yeah, it's got a lot of people talking, so Buck and I are going to share our opinions. With that, let's drop in. Mikey, you're shirtless. We're live. Things are very good on this Thursday evening in Portugal. They are fine here as well in Costa Rica. The cicadas are still out and chirping. So I actually had somebody reach out last week and tell me that they enjoyed the background noise. So you're welcome to that person. We're family animals on here. We've had dogs. Uh, I think Dane gave us some birds. Uh, I'm not sure if we've had livestock on air yet, but we can work on that. I can definitely work on that. There's plenty of that going around here. So yeah, if that's what you're into, let us know and we can maybe add a little bit in the background for you. But in the meantime, Buck, there are a lot of things going on. Stace and I just talked about everything that happened at Pipeline on the cusp. That came out yesterday, so you can go back and listen to that entire episode if you want. We break down all the crazy things that happen, obviously the winners, the losers, and all the strange and controversial moments. But um, there's still a lot of other things going on in the surf world as well. There was a lot of winners, losers, controversial moments, and uh, let's see what we can dig up news-wise beyond the whistle. Just kidding, one more whistle hit. The WSL pumps over 10 million USD per year into CT prize money. Okay, wow. That number seems staggering to me. And what this story does is breaks down how it's changed over the years, specifically how it changes in terms of what individuals on the tour actually take home. And this used to be something that, if you remember, the Association of Surfing Professionals, they used to show you that. there's a If you're looking at the rankings, there would be career earnings and year earnings. Um, they did away with that, I think, right around when they switched to the WSL. So this reintroduces some of that information. It's not hard to find. It just takes some math, but it was hard to find the previous figures and do the math there. So this is a deep dive into the world of CT pay. Mikey, what do you think of it? First of all, that is like a crazy operating cost. It's basically 900K per event throughout the season. And they vary a little bit depending on whether it's pre-cut, post-cut, the WSL finals, etc. But, you know, around a million dollars is what it costs them just in prize money, just to get the surfers there. Obviously, a lot of that is subsidized by the sponsors that, you know, pay for the event. But still, it's $10 million out of pocket is nothing to sneeze at. And yeah, there were a few stats in here that were really interesting to me. For instance, uh, we brought up a graphic of the top five earners in the last five years, and Julian Wilson made that list, which he didn't even surf on tour last year. I don't really remember him being in contention, you know, in the last couple of years of his tour. So that was really interesting. So first one was Gab, second was Felipe, third was Italo, then you have Julian fourth, which that means he's ahead of John. 
He's ahead of a lot of other, you know, people that are big names today. And then in fifth place, we had Jordy. Obviously, John was injured for every single one of those years, pretty much, which explains why he wasn't on the list. But yeah, there were some interesting names that popped up for sure. When you go read this thing, you can really see how it's weighted. And you make a lot more money when you finish. Like the difference between first and second is massive. Second and third is massive. It really, really goes down quickly. But for example... Jack Robinson and Carissa both won 80K at Pipe. And if you got last place, it's around 11. So it, it, it spans from there, and it almost cuts down by half every time, just about. But if you want to see all the numbers, go check it out. Another interesting thing that stood out to me is that, I mean, you look at some of the people like, okay, even let's talk about Jack and Carissa. Both of them are pulling in a lot of money in endorsements, a ton. 80k to them it's just kind of like oh yeah cool that that was fun like they they it's not that massive a deal it never hurts nobody's gonna complain about having 80k hit their hit their account but there are people on the tour that that means a lot more to and one thing i wanted to bring up is that callum robson last year made 175k in just prize money that's huge because he does not have main sponsorship beyond that I was actually looking into it today, and I don't want this to sound like I'm poking fun at him, making fun of him, but I did realize that currently, in terms of his sponsorship, at least going off of what he's tagging on Instagram, he is sponsored by Kingsy Diesel, which is uh, a kind of machinery operator, and Bonsoy, um, which makes plant-based milks. We just need to talk a little bit about brand identity and kind of get on the same page. So again, not poking fun. Just want to say let's uh, let's figure something out. If you need management, give me a call. But anyway, so who's a good brand for Callum? We gotta drop one or the other, and I want I want Diesel to stick around. Bonsoy, sorry, I think they're getting I think they're getting the. Uh, the Knicks. How would we? Gonna... But who do we pair that? So we go Diesel and and what like Deus or someone? That would be an excellent pairing. Um, Fox Racing would have been great. He would have been a really really good Fox Racing surfer. <laughs> he would have. But anyway, it's. I think that is like when you look at that when you look at that amount when you look at ten million a year. It doesn't really mean much when you think about the the sport's highest paid athletes anyway, endorsement wise making it. But I think that the WSL investing in this is huge for people like Callum, especially now that people like that are having a harder and harder time getting these like mainstream sponsorship deals. And so I think it's awesome. It's a massive cost, like you said, and it's something that I didn't realize. Like I kind of I was familiar with the prize output, but I didn't know that it added up to be that much. And it's a fuckload of money, ten million a year. And the real kicker, I think, the the people who benefit the most are the women because when the WSL went pay parity, it changed the game for them because we basically went back to 1999 and we looked at what the top man and top woman made that year, and it was under 100k for both of them. In 2009, the top man made around 250k, and the top woman was still under 100k. And nowadays, or really 2019, but I think the uh, the numbers are still pretty much the same. The top man made 500k in a year, and the top woman made also nearly 500k. So that's basically a 5x gain for women in that 10-year span. 
And that's a huge, huge difference that will affect like generations because it becomes a really viable career path now for women. So more young girls are going to get into it. It's going to push the progression of the sport, et cetera, and so forth. So yeah, it's a really good move by the WSL, especially to kick up the women's prices. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And the only reason that there is some disparity there is because with the prize structure, like if you both win world titles, that doesn't mean that you both got first in one event, second in three events. You know, it's, it unpacks differently, and it's all just tied to that. So um, there are years where women make more than men prize money-wise, so it's, it's cool. And also, one last thing, seeing the graphic uh, where Felipe stands in his earnings in 2023 relative to other sporting greats at the moment, you know, contemporary, the people at the top of their sport right now, he got compared to, you know, Rory McIlroy in golf somebody else in tennis and uh getting compared to a 24 year old french soccer player was that that's gotta hurt mbappe i mean he's fucking good though <laughs> 130 million good he's real fast man feels pretty fast too though here's your 365 day surf forecast this is a new feature we're airing out in stab premium uh we have consulted a shaman and if you want to start planning your surf trips year out, here we go. That's half true. I would call this guy, I would call Mark Smosler a shaman. He is the man behind stormsurf.com, which if you have ever caught a wave over 18 foot face, you have used this website. Uh, it is the favorite amongst big wave surfers because it seems to be the most accurate. It is. Well, I'm going to be honest. It doesn't look like it was designed in the past three (laughs) decades, but it's simple. It works. The information is there, and it's great. I look at StormSurf. And it's free. It's free. It's incredible. And, yeah, Mark, the man behind it, is just – he's really an incredible forecaster. So this story speaks to him. It was inspired by that crazy run of swell and storms that California was experiencing in January – when it seems like right now it's just when bad things happen or anything happens, you're just like, is this unprecedented? Is the planet already killing us all? What's going on? So we called Mark to ask him if that was happening, and he kindly talked us off a ledge and just explained the greater forces at play that was driving that. And he also hinted at something. We talked to him weeks ago, and he already hinted at something that looks like it's coming true for a swell coming to California in the next about 10 days. So he's a shaman. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like breaking down, like you said, these these bigger forces and then the smaller forces that are maybe indicators of those bigger forces, like El Nino. We've been in La Nina for years now, but it looks like through this other thing that's happening, we're like making a shift into El Nino. So there's tons of great information in there for anybody who cares about surf forecasting. I'm sure we all do to a certain degree. We want to know what the waves are going to be like but this uh this story is good and also the site is just so cool there's something so incredibly enticing about watching i don't know how you use storm surf but i basically just go to the map and hit the surf thing at the top and i watch the the swells like form and grow and move across the ocean and see that the colors change on it you know from like red to to yellow to purple to black and it's just it's and you get to see the way that they move and they kind of swell in and out and you see like, for instance, you know when people talk about, like, there's a swell, but then there's, like, a second pulse. Like, you come to understand how those pulses happen because storms, the storms that create swells, they're not just this, like, perfect circular cell of winds. You know what I mean? Like, they're really dynamic in and of themselves, and I feel like 
this website depicts that better than any other that I've seen. So it's really fun to watch. But I also have a thing going on happening to me right now in this very instant. So I've had a trip planned for months now. It's actually my bachelor party. And it's to one of my favorite surf destinations in the entire world. And just now we're coming into that range where you can sort of like see the long-term forecast. And I've been so scared to look because for one, I know for a fact that there's been a lot of swell going to this place lately, which I feel like can sort of go either way. It can be like, oh yeah, you're in like a good period, swell is going to keep coming. Or it's like, how long can that swell keep going for? You know, and that's that's where my mind goes. It's like, of course, as soon as it gets to the time that I'm going there, it's just going to be like, oh no, that runs over. Um, but anyway, I've I've had this idea of this bachelor party in mind for years, like literally years. I've, I've known that I wanted to go to this place just before the wedding. Um, it made sense with all of the logistics and everything. So I got a crew together and, you know, you have to pick a date. Obviously, it's not like a normal surf trip where you're going solo and you can kind of wait for a swell. Like there are a lot of people involved, etc. So last night, I finally worked up the courage to go look at Surfline. Uh... And it was not looking good. <laughs> It was like, seriously, the the swell looked like it was just going to fall off a cliff pretty much on like the day that we were going there. And I was like, of course, you know, I was trying to like keep my spirits up. But deep down, I just had, you know, just a sorrow inside of me because it was this thing that I built up in my mind for so long. Like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to surf this wave. I'm going to get super tube. I understand that completely. It's like, it's like if you're in a casino and you see a roulette wheel and black's been hitting five times in a row, you're not going to go put it on black. You know, it's like when I have friends coming here to come surf, I'm like, oh, that's, I'm sorry. It's been real good. Like, I don't know if it's still going to do that. So <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, Mikey. Um, okay. But here's the thing. I logged back on this morning, just like hoping and praying that somehow something changed. And then I go look and it looks like it's going to be like huge, like pumping insane. And so I don't know what to believe. So Mark, if you're listening to this, can you please let me know if there are any atmospheric rivers or pineapples or whatever you call them going to Bocas del Toro between February 18th and 23rd? I would really appreciate it. Yeah, and that is one thing I want to call out because I think I teased it on the podcast last week. I learned about the new term atmospheric rivers, which he said they used to call Pineapple Express, which you just said. But it's just a jet stream, and that's can basically act as a conveyor belt for storms. That's why California was getting belted. And that also where that was the trajectory of that kind of explained why some of the state had it worse than others. So thanks for clearing that up because when you hear these things, especially in this day and age with all the headlines, it's like atmospheric rivers, what the fuck's happening? Um, Thanks Mark. Thanks Mark. And thank you for telling us being the first to tell us that next winter will likely be an El Nino one. Thanks Mark later next winter, but still. Kanoa Igarashi on concussions, goose chases, tidal visions, the three types of surfers, sea tears encounter in the water, and more. Mikey, before we get into this one, let's have Kanoa just talk about the three types of surfers, sea tears encounter in the water. Let's hear from. So I noticed something when I saw you at Supers the other day. I mean, I think anybody who surfed that wave knows that the bugs just kind of rule out there. And I noticed this interaction you had with a bug where they were just trying to get every wave and you were politely waiting, but I heard you just have a conversation with one of the guys in Portuguese just kind of chatting to maybe hope that he'd give you the next set. And I want to ask you, like, obviously you're a high-profile surfer, 
do you feel people's energy kind of change when you're in the water? Like, do you, do you feel like you get a lot of people like looking at you, people trying to give you waves, people trying to take waves from you? Like, are you aware of that when you paddle out that people are probably looking at you? Yeah, there's like, it's so funny you say that. Like, I, there's two different like types of, uh, I guess people in the water towards me. Um, well, I guess there's three. Like one of them is like, you know, my close friends and people that I'm used to seeing. So it's like, you know, just like people that you see at the local coffee shop kind of thing that I'm like just like to see and we talk about our days and whatever. Yeah. And then there's the guys, and then there's the guys where it's like, oh, cool, like you know, he's a CT guy. Well, that's, that's cool. Like you know, that's that's really cool that he's like you know getting ready. He's in his off season. Like oh, I wonder what board he's riding. Riding like oh, like oh, that's, you know, it's, it's so cool to like just you know, like, I guess see him like in his uh, I guess pretty much at the at the gym, like pretty much in, in my training habitat. It's like oh, he's getting better. Like, I, you know, hopefully I don't, uh, I want to kind of, like, uh, don't want to get in his way. Yep. Uh, but then also, I don't want to be that guy either. It's like, we're all in the water, we're all equal, you know what I mean? So it's like, for me, I, like, I, I hate when people are, like, giving me waves and stuff. It's like, no, like, we're all waiting in line, let's, you know, let's all take our turns. I, I'm, I'm here to wait my turn, too. Uh, and then you have, and then you have other guys that are kind of just, like, they're just, <laughs> like, pissed off. It's like, oh, you know, this guy travels the whole world, he gets to surf this insane ways he starts indo every single day of the year he's in fortress all year he gets paid a million dollars to catch every wave and and like you know he, he has like 10 chicks on the beach waiting for him and he's got like champagne bottles flying as soon as he gets to the car <laughs> people, people have that image as well you know it's like this guy just flies a private jet to come surf super tubes from here to Sarah, you know Oh, that was such a good breakdown. <laughs> and so you have those kind of people too, and it's you know it's like it's this automatic like you know bad energy towards me, uh, and that's like you know that's like everywhere in the world. But it's like yeah, and then people realize it's like you know I, you know you start talking to them and people are like wait, this guy sounds like a normal human. Yeah. You know, like I had some like, conversation like wait like you talk and like you you know like. Well, you have problems, and you know, like, well, your, your board, your board's not working good. <laughs> you know, like, just like, disarms you, them immediately. Yeah, yeah, you're like, wait, like, you had pasta for lunch? Like, that's what I had. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's like, yeah, it, it, like, it's, and, and I'm the type of person where I'm just like, I'm such a, uh, I guess, like, people's person where I, I just love to talk, talk trash in the water, and like, and just like, uh, I'm just, I just love to be like, one, like, fit in. Um, but yeah, like, you know, there's, I get so many different types of encounters in the water, but, you know, I guess my favorite ones are the people that just kind of come up and we talk and we talk about the waves, we talk about the tour or whatever, and, and uh, we just talk about normal life stuff, you know, uh, that's kind of like, you know, those are the type of people I like to surf with, but. This was a long chat and I really, really enjoyed it, but I have to say that was my favorite bit. I, it, it was, I didn't really intend to ask the question that way. I was just, I saw him in the water and had this kind of funny experience and just wanted to ask something around there and him breaking it down like that i just never heard it done before and i thought it was incredible yeah the, anytime that you can give like three specific tiers to something it's so great even if like it's not fully like true like obviously there are different types of people that they encounter but like to really just typify those three people is so great because we do know all three of those people for sure even not as CT surfers, like we still encounter these people in the in the wild on a regular basis. 
Um, so well done to Kanoa for explaining that for everybody. And Kanoa came out in this interview and said something very specific. He said, this is the first time in my life that I'm able to look myself in the mirror at the start of this season and say, I can be world champion. How does that make you feel? I like it. I'm really happy for him. I have known him for a while. And he also has a point in there where he talks about how he qualified. He's on tour at 17. And basically people were critiquing him, critiquing his surfing, critiquing some of his actions. And he looks back on that period and was like, well, yeah, like, what do you expect? You're looking at a child. And so to see him grow, to see him win events, well, win an event and make the top five, I think it's great. Will he win the world title? I hope. I hope for him. Okay. So on the point of his rookie year, I want to note that he is, as far as I know, the only rookie to ever make it through their entire rookie season without getting last place in an event. He made it through that, that the, you know, the losers round every single time. Um, so well done to Kanoa there. That's a record. On the flip side of that, though, and you actually just sort of brought this up, but one of our commenters left a note on this story that I thought was interesting and worth sort of dissecting. So JB said, I don't think you can win a world title if you can't regularly win individual contests. To me, one CT win four years ago doesn't feel like a guy who is a genuine threat. Part of me agrees with that, and history would also agree with that, but History doesn't take into account that we have this new system now, right? Kanoa made it to the top five last year. He had an off day that day for some reasons that can be explained in the interview that you did with him, and it didn't happen. But it could have. As we saw with Steph, she went from fifth place all the way to first. He could have done the same thing. So on one hand, yeah, it is more likely that guys that are winning events regularly, like actually Stace and I just talked about how Jack is the... I think he's the the fourth fastest surfer to ever win four events on the CT. And that bodes really well for him to win world titles in my mind. But at the end of the day, if both him and Kanoa are in the final at lowers, you know what I mean? It's, it's more or less even between those two. It doesn't matter if Jack won six events this year and Kanoa didn't win any. So I don't know. It's an interesting point to consider that the dominant surfers do seem to win a lot of events. But now you can kind of get away with not. Yeah, and the lower thing comes up in this conversation as well. I asked him how he feels about it, and he just said, honestly, no matter who you ask, they are going to tailor their response based on their surfing. And if somebody doesn't think they're going to go well at lowers, they'll say it's a bad idea. said, me, I back it. like, And I know that's biased because I think I will do, low, do well at lowers. I think it's a good way for me. So that's a good point that you just brought up with the stats. Like It is winning a world title is different now and as long as it's at lowers that does favor a certain type of surfer and it does favor his surfing yeah and i mean i still think there are probably better surfers than kanoa at lowers but at the same time if he feels really confident out there all you got to do is go out and put a few good waves together in each heat so it could totally happen um he obviously didn't have a great run at pipeline but he made it to the finals at sunset last year so we'll see if he can repeat again in a few days one of the reasons i want to do this interview is because it all kind of started with that the interaction that was kind of described when i saw him in the water and asked him how he feels that people in the water kind of treat him and in the intro, I even wrote this, like I ran into him in the water, saw him speaking one of his four languages just comfortably to a stranger. And then as I was changing, I saw his car, which is a 
black Porsche SUV and it was like loaded with surfboards. And it was just, that image was so funny to me. Like Supers has this like dirt lot and it's just this cold fall European day. And there's just like a black Porsche loaded with surfboards. And I really do think he's such an interesting person. Like that image just was to me a little window into how interesting his life is. And so that sparked it. And I already heard a few people reach out to me and say that, Hey, this kind of changed my perspective on Kanoa. I'm not sure what they felt before, but I really do think it makes him just feel much more human. You could tell he's just a core surfer who loves to surf and, um, he's a great kid. So all the best. Hope he takes it out. All right. This is a 41 minute long film from Patagonia. It's called foam dust and it takes you through 25 years of FCD or Fletcher Chenard designs some surfboards that this crafty man was trying to make. And his title, um, it hints at something. They had an interesting ride over there at FCD, and at one point they had named their manager, well, they named a dog kind of a manager, at least if you depends on who called and asked. But basically these people were cowboys back in the day, and it takes you from those early days of cowboy nature through a very very interesting ride mikey what was your what was your thoughts on the vid i really liked it i enjoyed it and it really made me think that this is how you spend a billionaire's money the wsl employee should really take note because it looks like they're just a bunch of rad dudes all really good surfers just hanging out fucking around with surfboards all day and basically anytime there were waves they shut down the shop went and surfed um, they were experimenting with all these different constructions and designs and everything. And it just looked like a really good time. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the story. I also, I'm glad they made it because I had no idea Patagonia even made surfboards. I just assumed all these people were sponsored by Patagonia and that's why they had like the logo on there. I, I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. And first of all, yes, they were fucking around having a good time, but they're doing it for quite a noble cause. And I think at a time way before anybody else in the surfboard industry was really thinking in, in these terms, they wanted to make boards that lasted lasted longer. And when you're in a business like that, if somebody breaks the board, they have to buy a board. So making more durable surfboards is a strategy for it was for the planet yeah they were fucking around they were surfing when the waves got good <laughs> maybe the dog was the manager and first of all i am for the policy of having dogs in uh, management positions throughout the surf industry i think that things would operate more smoothly if that was the case uh just that was the standard so one i'm for that and two I think it's great when somebody combined fucking around being a pirate with uh, doing it for the right reasons, and that was exploring new materials to make surfboards out of that would benefit the consumer and the planet. So I'm for it. I'm for it. And also achieving some pretty cool feats, like hearing the backstory of that Cole Christensen wave at Cloudbreak on a 7.6 at like Second Reef Cloudbreak was really, really cool. And they just have like an awesome story that I honestly would have never, ever known about had I not watched this film. And it's also... It's like you'd think it be, could be kind of dry because it's like basically a history of this surfboard factory. But the way that it's like cut and delivered is super punchy and it kind of just keeps you glued in the entire time. So, yeah, go give it a watch. It does. And I mean, that Cole wave was good, but how is the one Fletcher got? Oh, 
that was a big wave. It takes you through these early days, and then there's a huge moment that comes when they were at the forefront of messing with these new materials, and then Clark Foam went under. So it was like, oh shit, that was a big moment for that. That was that was interesting to me. And again, like I said, they're just operating at a time when not many other people were thinking that way, especially for not especially not for those reasons. Um, but yeah, Fletcher is a bit of a mad dog. He's a bit of the hide behind the scenes. Just I think he has a quote in there about he just wants to make stuff and hide. He doesn't want to be center of attention, um, so they made a film about him. <laughs> he seems very reluctant. He's... <laughs> Have we even explained who he is? He's the son of Yvonne Chouinard. So you hinted at that. That's the other side. It's like, yeah, so he basically he came up under this, well, genius philanthropist businessman who created this empire, but Fletcher didn't really want anything to do with that. In fact, he was trying to separate his, you know, the board brand's label from Patagonia because he felt as though people knew the Patagonia story well and they would associate it with the surfboards when in reality the surfboards had their own story. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool. He's definitely not like a like a Nepo baby for somebody who grew up under a billionaire. I got one more thing I got to say, though. I'll frame it as a question. Do you think he has a big wave face? Oh, man. You're right. He does. He almost, he, I mean, he, he definitely looks like somebody from like Peru or something that would just like surf big waves, like no problem. He's got a big wave face. I, I didn't realize, I was watching it and I was like, there's something about it. There's some people, I think it's maybe like a fullness of a nose or something where it's like a big wave face, or I could see him as like, this will kind of come up later, but maybe like a, like a, a, big mountain backcountry ski guide like basically if an avalanche happens he's going to be the one to jump out of a heli and find you type um he's kind of got that face but i think there's a syndrome called big wave face that he has <laughs> well i i think he's handling it well and he lives up to it yeah he gets a fucking bomb at some at, at some psycho wave so anyway great watch go check it out it's free it's on stab go The WSL announces new transgender athlete policy. Okay, there is a lot here. Let's just get the facts out first. The policy is new to the WSL, but it is not new to surfing. It is the ISA's policy that was released in October. Not much noise made around it then, but when the WSL picked it up, it made a lot, a lot of noise. One of the first people to address it publicly was Bethany Hamilton. Uh, she was not for it, and basically, I guess the simplest way to describe this policy is that if somebody was born a male and now identifies as a female, they can compete as a male so long as they have that on their national ID card, so it's recognized at that level, and also that they have maintained a level of less than five nanomoles of testosterone per liter for the past 12 months. Um, those are new words to me. These are very new rules. So it's been interesting seeing how the surf world has handled this. And Yeah, I mean, in a way, this yeah, is sort of like the biggest one. news story of the week in terms of people just interacting with it. Like there were a lot of, you know, people that are big in the surfing world who commented on Bethany's post, both sort of for and against, like you had Shane Dorian saying, speak your truth. Less than 1% of people think this policy reflects fairness, quite the opposite. Thank you for being brave enough to stand up for what you believe. 
Um, then you had Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, current CT surfer, and Sage Erickson, former CT surfer, both of whom said, thank you for always being a voice and standing up for us. Um, then on the flip side, you had Nora Vasconcelos, pro surfer, or sorry, pro skater, who just said simply trans women are women. She was obviously against it. And Leanne Curran, Tom's daughter, said, I think feminism and transphobia can't coexist. Your video is harmful. It comforts uninformed people, excluding and pointing the finger at a minority. So there were definitely a lot of mixed opinions on this, and it's a really divisive topic and something that I think, too, is happening. It's a conversation that's happening even, you know, between people out in the lineup nowadays, people who don't compete themselves and it doesn't affect them directly, but they have an opinion and they have a thought on this. And here's the thing. I think it would be really easy for us to just sort of like report on what's been said and the science and the rules and everything like that. And honestly, from like a risk reward standpoint, that's probably the best thing we could do. But I don't know. I just feel like as people who live and breathe this surfing thing, we're obviously quote unquote surf journalists. So it's in a way it's kind of our job to talk about it. So I kind of want to have an open discussion. And I think that things like this, you need to be able to have open discussions about them, obviously being respectful and thoughtful about people's feelings and whatnot, but also being able to share, you know, just like a dialogue about it. And then we can all hopefully learn and grow together. So I have a hot take, Buck. Are you ready? I'm ready. The WSL made the right call. There you have it. To be fair, this was not my first stance on the matter. I definitely felt more similarly to Bethany and Shane when I first heard the news. But I've been thinking about it a lot this week, and I've actually changed my mind, and not for the reasons that you might be thinking. So I should preface this all by stating the obvious. I support trans people and anyone making a personal change to reflect their true selves. I think that's awesome. Go for it. I'm also far from an expert on the science surrounding this topic. Like, I'm, I, I'm not going to get into, like, the freaking levels of testosterone. Like, it just it means nothing to me because I haven't studied it. I don't know anything about it. I'm learning, hopefully. But, like I said, I'm super passionate about competitive surfing, and this is going to potentially affect competitive surfing for generations to come. So I think it's important that we chat about it. So first of all, whether or not you agree with the rule... You have to understand where the WCL is coming from when they adopted it. They're a major corporate entity. So in order to maintain the brand partnerships that fund a lot of their operation, they need to avoid any major scandals. So the easiest way to do that in this case is to follow rules that have already been established by other more prominent sporting leagues. Obviously, the ISA adopted this first, and they got it from other leagues that have already implemented it in sort of their ranks. So... This is WSL's way of saying, basically, like, we're not experts on this subject, so we're just going to follow what everyone else is doing. And while that may piss people off, it's also just kind of the smart, safe decision, and probably, honestly, the one that most people would make if you were in their position, if you were leading the WSL and you realized you had all these corporate interests. Like, even if you didn't personally believe that it was the perfect solution for our sport, I think that most logical people would make that decision because it's the best business decision at this current moment. But... If we're being completely honest, and again, like I said, I, I don't know the science, but if I'm just like thinking with my brain, if Gabriel Medina transitioned today or, you know, he starts the, ther the testosterone therapy thing today, and in 12 months he was to paddle out against the women's CT, he'd demolish them. Like it wouldn't even be close. And the reason being, no matter what Medina's testosterone levels were or what his muscle mass was like, he would still possess all the surfing experience and muscle memory, not muscle mass, but muscle memory that he's acquired in his 30 years as a man. 
So he'd be able to knife deeper tubes, hit scarier sections, and land bigger airs than any woman on the present-day CT, simply because he's done it so many times before that it just it's natural to him. I don't think you need... It's not so much about muscle mass as it is about just like having done it a lot and feeling comfortable doing it. So in that respect, I understand why people like Bethany and Shane say that the WSL shouldn't adopt this rule around transgender athletes. But I also understand the people who think the WSL should adopt this rule, both from sort of an empathetic, forward-thinking standpoint that you hear from Nora and Leanne, but also from a strictly logical standpoint. So first of all, I think we all know that the ability gap between men and women is closing quickly. We see it every year, the ladybird generation, they're doing huge errors, charging barrels at a much younger age. I don't know if that gap will ever become completely closed. I don't know if men and women will ever compete at their, you know, surf at the same exact level, but it's definitely getting smaller. Um, So the Medina gap that we were just talking about, it's shrinking. That's one thing. But here's really like the core of my logic argument for why transgender athletes should be able to compete in their respective gender categories. To use an example from sixth grade science class, right now, people on both sides of this debate really just have hypotheses, right? We don't know for sure. On one side, we have people who think that basically tempering testosterone levels of transgendered women isn't a sufficient means of evening the playing field in surfing. Meanwhile, people on the other side do think it's sufficient. And no matter which side you believe in, or which other sports you may cite as examples, you can't actually know you're right until you let it play out in surfing. So let's just give it a try, right? Like... Why not try it? And then if it's not working, we can change it and we can adjust it so that it, it does make sense. This isn't some like immutable law. Like it's a, it's a rule book that changes every single year. Every single year, the WSL puts out a new rule book. And then say in 10 years or 15 years or whatever, however long it is, say that somehow nine of the top 10 surfers in the women's tour are transgendered. In that case, you could say that the rule should probably be amended, right? Like it's not really working if nine of the top women in the world were born with male parts. But if it's more like 50-50 or a majority of cisgendered women are still in the top 10, then you can say that the testosterone suppression is probably working, at least at that point. You can you know, check back every so often and say, okay, it's still working or it's not working. We need to move it here or there. But the rules should always be fluid to reflect the realities of the current time period. But the only way we can do that is to first give it a chance. So that's my proposal. I know that like a lot of people are going to obviously disagree with it because this or that, but I think that the only way we can know for sure is to give it a try. So I'm for it. Wow. Okay. Well, I've got another hot take. The WSL should test for serotonin. And if you have more than 200 nanograms per milliliter of blood, then you shouldn't be able to compete. That would be um, above the normal threshold. And that's, I think, uh associated with satisfaction and i think in order to surf you should kind of be a little bit of a prick um it'd just be weird if you're happy all the time satisfied giving everybody waves so i think that's something we need in our sport i i I think the wsl already did that that's why they made the um the mid-year cut that one year so that tanner gadowskis couldn't surf anymore (laughs) that's yeah that's a good point that's why all the gadowskis brothers are gone but for real i really appreciate you saying that like like you said, when you started, it's would have been the easiest thing for us to do is to just report the facts, not throw anything else out there. That's the safest thing. That's the easiest thing. So you taking the time to formulate that and to share it is huge. I think that's exactly what we need to do. I think it's just 
having conversations that are respectful that are respectful and healthy about it. Um, otherwise, what do we have to move forward? Conversation is the only thing that we have. The only tool that we have, other than essentially violence in many cases, to to figure stuff out as a species. So that's huge. And yeah, I think that part of this podcast, we share opinions on anything. So I will share mine here as well. Uh, I'm for it. I think it's the right call as well. And I am never going to be able to get to your level of thinking in terms of breaking down how shit works at a competition level. So I really appreciate you doing that because for me, that's the only real thorny bit. That's that's the thorny bit to me is this would be super unfair. Like like we said in the story about the WSL prize money earlier, female surfers have had it tough for decades. It just has not been as good for them as it has been for their male counterparts. And that is changing. And now it's getting to a point where in the next few years, it could be even better. Like I think some of the biggest contracts at least are going to be for female surfers, which is fucking great. And now that they're having their moment, this risk of, you know, and again, I'm not a scientist, neither are you, but the, the fear that some, that something might happen that unfairly takes something away from them, I completely understand. Um, and so I appreciate you addressing that, but my stance on it is that this was the WSL adopting the ISA's policy and it's just the right move. Like you said, the WSL is a, a corporate entity. What are they going to do? Go against the, the people that, uh, the, the Olympic rule. And the way I really think about it is that, okay, what, there's 50 surfers on the CT, maybe another 100, 200 on the Challenger Series. The elite level of surfing is so small, whereas the ISA has, I think, 109 different federations in different countries that feed up into them. And so I think the way that people interact with surfing in a competitive sense, by and large, is through stuff that's more about community and inclusion than it is the highest level of competition. And so... I think that this affects so many more people. Like it just, that's how people interact with competition. That's thousands and thousands, maybe 10,000s compared to hundreds. And so I am fully for it. I think it's a great call. And yeah, I guess one thing that's worth noting is that this policy has a line in there and the WSL has been clear in their communications with us about it, that they have a team of experts looking at it and evolving as it goes. This is not just, hey, this is what it is. This is how it's going to be. It's locked in. This is going to evolve. So to your point, this is not just a commandment now. It's an evolving thing. And most of the conversation I've seen so far has been healthy. And I think that's a really good sign. Yeah. So let's not get all freaked out over hypotheticals. And if something does happen that proves to be not ideal for the sport of surfing um, or for women, either cisgendered or transgendered, then then we can change it in the future. But I think we have to, like, the, the, way, the world is moving this way and we need to give it a chance, so let's do it. And also, to the people who say that they, quote-unquote, need their own division, on one hand, I hear where you're coming from, but that's also such, one, a sort of an exclusionary statement and also just, like, a throwaway statement because who's going to set up this division? Who's going to pay for it? It would take forever for that division to reach the point where it offers a legitimate career path, like the current WSL tour system. So I don't know. I, I just think that like we need to give this a try and, and see how it goes. And if it's not working, we, we change it up. All right. It is almost time for a surf sin. But first, let's talk about what is coming next on Stab Premium. There's a lot. 
there's a lot. And there's also a best of piece right now. If you are at a point where there's a before and after in your life and that big moment changed when you finally got Stab Premium, we are dropping a best of piece that fills you in on every project, not every single one, but the majority of the projects we've done since we launched this thing, which has been over two years. So if you weren't with us right from the jump, this is basically going to show you oof, hours and hours. I mean, maybe hundreds of hours, probably hundreds of hours of, of videos that you can just get lost in. So that'll be there, and there are more coming. Oh, another thing I'm excited for. Sorry, I should have mentioned this as well. But we've got a story on the site. It'll be live by the time you listen to this. But it is about the Capitulo Perfeito, the perfect chapter event that's held in Portugal every year. Um, it's announcing that we're in the waiting period for that. They're small on the way. We're just talking about Storm Surf. Nothing called on yet, but that is a sick event. They've got Pipe Masters, the former baller on stack. They've got Adrian D'Souza, world champ. They always bring this crazy international field and pit it against some of the local tube dogs here. And so I'm excited to go watch that. Anyway, what's next on Sap Premium? We have got Surf Films Are Hard. A Jai Glendeman piece that is truly unique. We're going to interview Jai next week as well. We have a Luke Shepardson profile, the Eddie champion. We've got a little video profile on him coming. Very, very well deserved. And we've also got a Paul Evans story about a world-class surf zone that is thought that it will be underwater by eh, 2000, 2100, 2100. How do you say that year? Uh, I'm not going to reveal what one it is, but keep an eye out for that. Anyway, time for a surf sin. What up, Buck and Mikey? My name's Jake. Uh, I got a sin for you. This one's kind of strange. I'm driving from Montana to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, what I do for work is I'm a pro big mountain skier. Um, I pretty much get paid by companies to ski, make make ski media, movies, whatnot. Um, the season's pretty short for us. We go from, you know, end of December to, you know, early end of April. So it's kind of crunch time through the winter. Not a lot of time off. Here's my sin. I should be filming with TGR, it's a big film company out of Jackson. I'm kind of playing hooky. I booked a plane ticket to Portland to go toe surf for the buddy for a few days. And I'm kind of not telling anyone why I'm leaving, but I'm leaving when I easily should not be leaving, so. Give me a penance. I don't feel that good about it, but fuck, I'm pretty psyched, so I don't know. Here's one more, actually. Uh, you ever heard of pow surfing? Powder surfing? It's like snowboarding with no bindings. It's the biggest snow bro activity you ever heard of, but goddamn, is it pretty fun. Um, you guys should give it a go. Get out of the ocean for a little bit. All right, cheers, fellas. Give me my penance. This is unique. This is different mikey you wrote back to jake saying that you detected a lot of sins here have you have you had time to really think about it and focus in on one yet <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot going on here like first of all he uh, he's coming out just straight up and saying i'm a snow bro and i appreciate that that's that kind of cancels that sin i think he's actually driving in the video he's driving with it looks like a, a ski mobile in the back of his truck like you know attached to a rig of some sort so um, yeah, he's, and he's a basically a, a free free skier. Is that what you call him? Somebody who gets paid to ski? Well, oh, okay. First, I, I gotta jump in here. We are we are the world's number one 
surf podcast amongst big mountain backcountry skiers. Uh, shout out to Sammy Carlson. He's a friend of the program, friend of mine. So, Jake, you're not alone. You, We are the number one. You come to the right source for uh, pro surf information amongst professional skiing community. We win it year after year. Um, and, yeah, you, you seem very confused. They all have snowmobiles. It's like part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's the the jet ski of the snow, I suppose. But I wish I don't have a jet ski. I want a jet ski. How do I get a jet ski? I don't know. You got to get a truck first, I guess. Drive around okay. like Jake. All right. Well, anyway, so he he goes in and he explains, obviously, that he's he's taking this trip off from work. Nobody really knows to go surf. I actually think that's that's the opposite of a surf sin, right? Like I'm all for silently slipping out of work to go get some waves. So I think that's all good. But what really got me was toe surfing in Portland. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did he say Portland or Oregon? He said Portland. And I know that he, you know, he, he meant, I think he said I'm flying into Portland to go toe surfing or something like that. Or, or But anyway, that's, that's how it was said. He said I'm toe surfing in Portland. And I know there are good waves and even really big and scary and heavy waves in Oregon. But that's just a phrase, a combination of words that should never come out of a person's mouth. So that's definitely that's definitely a sin. You know that I'm not fond of towing to begin with, but to do it in Portland of all places, that's just that's way too much for me. So and the you know the snow uh what did he call it? Uh pow surfing? Is that what he called it? The the no uh what do they call those things? I just love I I have I went I consulted my chief snow bro for this John Ray. Um and he was kind of giving me a lay of the land. He said it is the funnest thing ever. And it sounds like these people just got jealous of surfing and just found their equivalent to like a mid-length. Just something unnecessary that kind of makes you do what you've been doing for years but worse. Um, <laughs> so shout out to the Snow Bros for finding that. Nice work. <laughs> so whatever. I'm not going to say if that's a sin or not. I'm not close enough to Snow Bro culture. But he clearly needs a penance. And I think that toe surfing in portland it's too much for me so mine's really simple you need to either bring a big board with you or if you have you know your friends you're meeting up with there if they have a big board on the biggest day of the trip wherever you are you got to go paddle out and catch one just like fletcher catch the biggest one that you can find and you can make it you can eat it on the drop i don't care but you you just got to put yourself in a position where there's just that little element of like real surfing involved. And I think that that'll sort of cleanse you. I like that. I like that. And if these people are psychopaths, I think like if you see what they do, it is absolutely just the most fucked up thing. It's like the biggest difference between what they do and what big wave surfers do is that big wave surfers, a wave comes and you don't really have much time to think. Like, it's just like you're reacting and obviously you have to decide to paddle into it. You have to make the decision to paddle out and where to sit and all that. But like when that wave comes, it's all happening so fast. What they do, you have so much time to think. Like when they're doing their thing, they'll just be like up in a heli and just go, I want to go there. And then go like really calculated like the moment before you actually drop in. So as a result, I think they're absolutely psychotic. It's kind of like what Tori Meister was talking about with his bull riding. Like you, that moment, you you know it's about to start, you know, you, and it's like you have time to think about it. So yeah, they definitely don't have much fear. This psychopath will probably take your advice and paddle into some wave that he has no business paddling into, which we love. But anyway, very snow, bro. He dropped a little something there. Okay, he's working on his TGR part. I happen to know what he was talking about. That's Teton Gravity Research. Um, 
those are the filmmakers that did Kissed by God, the Andy Irons documentary that told a lot of people a lot more about Andy's life and death than what pretty much anybody inside the surf industry was saying at that time. It was so well done. It's such a good film. Um, and I remember I was pissed off at first. I was like, what the fuck are these snow bros doing? Ma- taking our hero, making, uh, you know, taking their incredible skills and equipment and expertise and making a 10 out of 10 film about him. Um, for some reason that annoyed me at first. And then I watched it and I was like, Oh my God, this is really good. So they're incredible at what they do. And I'm going to focus on the AI thing. Um, for essentially no reason, Actually, you could try to explain it, but first, you have to sneak some Andy Irons in this edit that you're working on, this part you're working on this winter. I don't care if it's a thing in like a put it in memory to him in the end, or just somehow inexplicably put a wave in. No, no, no. Rising sun on the bottom of your skis. You have to put some AI <laughs> reference in there. Um, that way, you're healing the relationship with Teton, TGR, if you will, um, and you're paying homage to a surfing great. That's what I think it's going to take for you to heal is just somehow – and keep us posted. I want to see this edit where there's just a random – just a backcountry ski edit where somehow Andy Irons works his way in. That's what we need. Also, the guy that I think started TGR or runs it, I think his name is John – I'm like you right now. I don't know how to say his last name. It's like John DeSarce or something like that. He's also a huge surf fan. Would not be shocked if he listened to this podcast. You might be outing yourself right now. And Sorry about that, Jake. Yep. Sorry. (laughs) But uh... (laughs) – Your healing starts now. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop and for submitting your surf sins. We know you guys have been doing very, very bad things, so send them in. We like video. We're going to prioritize them over audio because uh, we're going to make you know something special maybe at the end of the year. We'll see how they go. But anyway, send them in to Mike at StabMag. Sorry, Michael. I don't even know my own email. Michael at StabMag.com or Buck at StabMag.com. And until next week, over and out.